Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. All of our locations, welcome uh, as we jump into a new series, new series called Eternity. And I, I know what you're thinking. You're looking at that logo. And you're not thinking about heaven, you're thinking about a video game that you played in 1983 or 1995. You're thinking about Donkey Kong or Qbert or Excitebike or Frogger or, or NBA Jam or NFL Blitz. You are thinking about and you're wanting to press that start button and you're wanting to. Uh, but, but this message, these, these next uh, three messages in our series on eternity. Um, It's actually gonna be out of the book of Ecclesiastes, so that's a little bit different. And I think it's gonna be a little bit different perspective and an angle on eternity. And I really really think you'll find uh, find it to be helpful. And I wanna preach this morning about about meaning, the longing longing for meaning. You know, sociologists tell us that you don't have to be a Christian to long for meaning in your life. That is, a, that is really one of the four universal human needs. So whether somebody woke up um, this morning saying, I'm an agnostic, or whether they woke up saying, uh, I follow Buddha, or I follow Muhammad, we don't believe those are the same thing. I'm just telling you that needs of humanity are the same. There is a longing in all of humanity to find meaning and to find Purpose, And so when we talk about this, you'll hear me use a phrase like this, this phrase that appears. Uh, sometimes we're not brave enough to say this phrase out loud. Uh, so you may have not have said, said this phrase to your friends, but I guarantee you, you've said it in your head during some period of your life um, is that there's got to be more to life than this. Right. So so this can manifest itself during different phases of our life. Um, Let's walk through a couple of those phases. It can manifest itself when you walk through a time in your life that's a period of, of pain. Um, so, so maybe in your life this looks like a season of loss where you've lost a, a close friend or a family member. Uh, maybe this looks like a season where you just walked through a breakup and where you found that the words we're going to be together forever somehow meant March of 2019. And you're like, where did that, where did that come from? And I'm in pain. And during those moments of pain, you say something like this, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. And then, and then there's just seasons of, well, there's seasons of ordinary, right? It's the seasons of, of the mundane. And, and I got to tell you that sometimes I get, a, I get a preacher confession to you. Sometimes I don't feel like, myself included, the preachers do a real good job of telling you that a lot of life is just ordinary, a lot of life is sometimes it's mundane. You know, you get these motivational speakers and teachers and coaches and preachers, and we all want to preach these, these highlight reels, and then you're, you're standing at the sink just doing life. Like you're brushing your teeth. Or you're trying to get the kids in bed and into their pajamas. Or, or, or you are, you're changing a diaper. Or you're taking a test. Or you're doing your homework. And I'm not talking about the students, parents, I'm talking about you doing your child's homework because that homework is 
hard. And my wife says amen. To that is where help. And but just but like there's a lot of life that is just life, right? And then you compare, you compare, you're staring at your teeth in the mirror, and then you glance down at your friend's Instagram feed. You know the friend that just posts all the good stuff, and they're always on vacation, and they're always out to eat, and you know them, and you're like, you're broke. How are you out to eat that much? How are you on how are you doing all of these things? And you compare your ordinary to somebody else's highlight reel. And so in that moment, you're like, there's got to be more to life than this. And so those two seasons, though, at, at least that makes sense, right? At least when you walk through a difficult season and you say there's got to be more to life than this, that makes sense. Or at least you're just going through the, the ordinary of mowing the, mowing the lawn. You know, that never, like, that never stops, right? or clothes that need to be washed, or meals that need to be cooked. It's like you, you do it, and you, got it, and you got to do it again, and you got to do it again, and you're, you're walking through that, and you say, there's got to be more to life than this. That makes sense. Here's where, can I, can I tell you, here's where it gets scary. When you say there's got to be more to life than this during the quintessential moments in life. Like when you're on the cruise that you spent three years saving for, and it's not all that you thought it would be. When you're at the, it's getting quiet now. You're like, I don't want to admit this. When you, when you are in the middle of your wedding that you spent way, way, way too much money on, and you're saying there's got to be more to life than this. When you finally get the raise and get the promotion, when you finally win the sporting event. I was reading a book recently uh, by Ed Catmull. Ed Catmull, along with Steve Jobs, uh, founded, founded Pixar. Uh, John Lasseter, Steve Jobs, and Ed Catmull were like the three founding, founding fathers of, of Pixar. And, and he spent 20 years of his life working up to Toy Story. Remember Toy Story? Got Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. And I hear they're coming out with a 4 and they better not mess it up because it's been a good trilogy, so we need to keep this run going. But he spent, Ed Catmull spent 20 years of his life. This was his vision. This was his dream. He put his money into this, his heart, his blood, his sweat, his tears. And in 1995, they released it. It was a huge success. They released Pixar as a public traded company, and it raised $140 million. It was the largest IPO, initial public offering. It was the largest IPO uh, of that entire year. And so so this is what this is what Catmull says about his emotions on the heels of all of that victory. He says, while I could feel that euphoria, I was oddly unable to participate in it. He goes on to say, for 20 years, my life had been defined by the goal of making the first computer graphics movie. And now that that goal had been reached, I had what I can only describe as a hollow lost feeling. I felt a troubling lack of purpose. In Greek mythology, they talk about it uh, through the character Tantalus. It's where we get our English word tantalize. And this, this, this mythic character, the story goes, and he was the son of Zeus and he was punished. And, and his punishment was to stand in a pool of water and, and he had branches over his head. And the branches were full of, full of fruit and full of prosperity. And the water was glistening and gleaming below him. And every time he would go to reach for the branch of fruit, 
fruit, the branch would pull just out of his reach. And every time he would scoop down to get some of that cool, refreshing water, the waters would recede. And doesn't that sound like the gospel of American happiness? Like how much is too much? Just a, just a little bit more. I mean, you're not, you're not greedy, but if you just, I mean, that last, that last car didn't satisfy you, but if you could just get this car. Uh, I know the, the remodel of the bathroom wore off after a couple of months, but if you could just remodel your kitchen. Like here's what I've, here's what I've found about home remodel is that it is tantalous. Because when I remodel my kitchen, somehow I don't enjoy my kitchen. I just see that the living room needs help. <laughs> Have you found this to be a never-ending sight? Like just out of my, just out of my reach. You win one championship and you want, before you even get done celebrating that one, you want another one. You have one baby, you want another baby. Okay, maybe that's not, that's a bad example, but you get, you get the picture. And, and, that, and that can be scary. And can I tell you something, especially that gets really scary for a Christian. Because here's what goes on in a Christian's mind. A Christian says, well, if I, if I didn't have Jesus, I could understand how I would be longing for meaning and purpose. But I got Jesus and I got what I want. How am I still longing for meaning and purpose? Has anybody ever been there? I, I remember... I remember a scary moment in my life about five, five years ago, and here's the weird thing, and I'm still processing this, so I'll probably stumble through it a little bit and not evaluate it really well, but it was a good, it, like the whole season was good, but the actual moment that I thought would mean more didn't, and it was, it was actually a little bit hollow. And here's, here's what I mean when, when I got my doctoral degree. The weird thing is I loved the whole process. I had a great cohort, got to be really good friends, some lifelong friends in this cohort. I loved my profs. I enjoyed the study. I enjoyed the, uh, the process of it all. The moment, the week of graduation, my dad flew out, my, my family, and we had this week of vacation, hiking around uh, Portland and going to Seattle. And it was with the people that meant the most to me in my life. And so we had a great time and we had a lot of fun. Afterwards, I've enjoyed some, uh, the Lord has used that to open up some doors. But can I be real honest, the actual moment of receiving the diploma, I don't know what it was. Uh, I do know this about me. I, can, I build things up in my mind to the point of it's impossible to meet expectations. Like I do that about like every Christmas Eve, it's like sh this should be a Hallmark movie and every, every vacation should be a highlight uh, reel on Instagram and like, at, like every month, like I build things up to this impossible. And so I don't know what was, I don't know what my expectation was when I walked across that platform. Like another portal to a different dimension was gonna open or I don't know if I was being selfish. I don't, I don't know. All, all I remember is that I had worked worked so hard to achieve something that I had wanted for years and I wasn't able to, to celebrate it like I thought I would. And I don't know if you've ever been there, whether it's been in pain, but I want to, I want to preach to you about meaning this morning. I want to preach to you. See, the, see the Bible, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is written by a guy named Solomon and it, it's a doctoral dissertation in meaning and in purpose. Um, uh, it's labeled, the, the writer is labeled the uh, Koholith, which, which is a word for teacher. Some 
Scholars don't believe it was Solomon, but he self-identifies as the son of David and king of Jerusalem. So whatever, smart people, I think it was written by Solomon. And, and so in this, this whole book, this whole book is the searching for purpose and meaning, this longing for meaning. And Ecclesiastes 1 uh, reads like this. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets. And then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. And then around to the north it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Always running, never full. Always busy, never satisfied. Does that sound familiar? And then the water returns to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Verse 8, everything is wearisome beyond description. See, that's how I know that Solomon had a three-year-old. <laughs> and all the parents of young toddlers said, amen. I, young parents... <laughs> Like, if I, I think if I was a young parent, especially, I'd get off, I'd get off of social media because, because it, social media puts a pressure on you that every moment in life has to be this quintessential moment with your beautiful babies. And there's some of them, there's a lot of them where you just want to uh, punish them. And uh, so I just want to, <laughs> like, I just want to, there's going to be a lot of screaming. There's going to be some yelling. There's going to be some boredom. There's going to be some frustration. And then you'll have a few moments that you're like, oh, this is why we did this. Okay? Like, that's, that's raising kids. It's okay. It's okay. And then uh, Solomon says, no matter how much we see, uh, by the way, I think possibly we should petition Washington, D.C. and put this on our $100 bills because it sounds like the gospel of America. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound like society today? Just, just, one, just one more. I don't know how much is too much uh, or how much is enough, but I think it's one more of whatever. Like one more vacation, one more experience, one more, one more uh, championship, one more promotion. And then, and then Solomon goes on to explain. So he's like, this all is meaningless. And then in chapter 2, he begins to say specifically what is so meaningless. So he walks through. He tries all of these different things. And I'm going to give you the uh, Doug Witherup version. You can follow along in your translation. But here's what he tried. He tried learning. Basically, his Amazon Prime account was lit up. All the book lovers know what I'm talking about. Somebody recommends a book, boom, one click, it's ordered. It's there two days later. So he tried learning. He tried wisdom and knowledge. He graduated summa cum laude with his MBA. But then he realized, hey, that was a little bit hollow. So he tried laughter. He binged watched The Office and Parks and Rec on Netflix for three weeks straight. He saw, and then he saw these commercials, and he saw people eating certain foods or, or drinking certain things, and, and he saw them, and the commercials looked so good, so he said, I'm going to try that lifestyle. And then he, then he flipped over to HGTV, and he saw My Lottery Dream Home and Fixer Upper and Caribbean Life and Building Off the Grid, and he thought, if I could just build houses, if I could just build homes. And then he tried money and gadgets and the newest iPhone. 
And it didn't work, so he moved to his job. He poured himself into his job. He said, if I could just work a little more overtime, if I could just get this promotion, if I could just go out of town, if I could travel, if I could get the sales job, if I could stop traveling and be home with my family more, if I could, all, if, if I could do all this. And then he tried music, and he tried the arts, and he tried sex, and he tried everything. Go ahead and read it for yourself. He puts it pretty eloquently there in chapter 2. And this is his conclusion of the matter. The richest dude that ever lived and the smartest guy that ever lived other than Jesus. And this is it in 2.11. I had everything a man could desire, but I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, and it was meaningless. And that's scary. Looked at that word meaningless, because we've all, we've all had those moments. And I thought this would mean more. I thought this would fulfill me more. I thought this would give me more happiness. I thought this would give me more peace. I thought that we've all had those moments. That word meaningless, it actually means wind or it means vapor. There's a picture, right? So you can chase the wind, but you can't have the wind. You can, you can try to grasp a, a, a vapor, but you can't get a vapor. And that's what's meaning. So meaninglessness in your life, watch this, is connected to things that are temporary. And as long as we chase after what is temporary, we will always be chasing what's next. And so here, but here's the thing. Um, I think Ecclesiastes gets a bad rap sometimes. I mean, I know it's in the Bible. A book of the Bible shouldn't get a bad rap, right? But it does. Gets this bad rap as a pessimistic book and and. I get it because 95% of it is the tone of what I read. Meaningless, everything is labor and toil, it's all meaningless. But there's a key, watch this, there's a key in the book of Ecclesiastes that if you miss, we focus on Ecclesiastes 2.11, but if you miss 3.11, you miss the key to the whole thing. Here's what Solomon says in 3.11, and he gets a glimpse. I believe the Lord opens his eyes for a moment, and he gets a, gets a glimpse, not of meaninglessness, but of meaning. And he says in verse uh, 11 of chapter 3, Yet God has made everything beautiful. He finally founds beauty. He, he's finding God, and he's finding beauty for its own time. He has planted eternity. He has planted eternity in the human heart. So you have meaning. Now watch this. You have, you have the longing for meaning, and now God says that meaning is connected to eternity. Meaninglessness is connected to the temporal. Meaning is connected to eternity. I believe that the reason Solomon ascribed meaninglessness to all of those things was because he failed to connect his life here to eternity. So this is a one-point message this morning. If you want, you can only write one thing down, but write this down. Meaning is connected to eternity. It's hardwired into us. It's hard. So that same person that woke up following Buddha or that same person that woke up as an agnostic or woke up as an atheist, not only do they long for meaning, but the Bible says that they have eternity hardwired into them. Have you, know, have you noticed this? Have you noticed this about our culture that even people that don't serve God, whatever they're striving for religion is, it has some connection to eternity. So there was this emperor in China in 211 uh, BC. His name was Quin Shugandi. 
Chinese emperor in 221 BC. And he was, this guy, like a lot of people were scared to die. This guy was really scared to die. And he had the money to try to stop it. So he heard about these uh, islands. There were these rumors going around about these islands. And he said, all these expeditions, go find me the, the, these plants and this medicine and this herbs and it'll make me live eternal. And well, that didn't work. And he kept looking in the mirror and realized he was getting older. And it's like, man, whatever, ginseng I'm drinking, that didn't work. And, and, and so he was just like, uh, 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 whatever essential oils I'm using. They're not working. And, and that's probably, don't say that in church. You're going to get the people really mad. I'm just kidding. We use them. We use them. But <laughs> stick to the script. Wither up. So, so uh, this Chinese emperor, and, and uh, he, starts being, he starts being so scared of death that he's like, okay, if I can't stop myself from dying, at least I'm going to make sure that eternity is good for me. So in 211 BC, they found, they found what he did in 1974. There were some farmers that were drilling a well outside of a mountain in rural China, and they started excavating this, this site. This Chinese emperor um, dug an underground tomb that was a palace because remember their belief system was like whatever tomb you have, uh, that's where you're going to live. So like things like the similar uh, beliefs in Egypt and that sort of thing. His palace was 20 miles underground, 20 square miles un underground. And again, you say, why, why would he do that? It shows, it shows two things. It shows number one, we're scared to die. And it shows number two, we want to know what happens to us after we die. Like that's, that's in the human, so we're talking about multiply, the greatest year of evangelism. And you say, well, my, my family member doesn't care about Jesus. My neighbor doesn't care about church. Maybe not yet, but I guarantee they care about what's going to happen to them after they die. They care about eternity, I guarantee. And you say, they say well, they're only 18. They don't, they're not even thinking of that. Yeah, but they care about meaning. They care about purpose. And they're striving for things in their life that are trying to fill that void in, in their life and in their heart. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, a man's physical hunger may not prove that the man will get any bread. He may die of starvation on a raft in the middle of the Atlantic. But surely a man's hunger does prove that he comes from a race that repairs its body by eating. And that it inhabits a world where eatable substance exists. Basically what Lewis is saying is your longing for something proves its existence. You may be looking in the wrong place, but if you're longing for peace, it proves that peace exists. If you're longing for hope, it lo proves that hope exists. If you're longing for meaning, if you're longing for eternity, if you're longing for whatever it is, it proves that that thing exists. And so... If meaning is connected to eternity, that word eternity is olam. It means both antiquity, what is in the past, and futurity, what is in the future. I want to press pause. Uh, this, is, this is a little side note, but I think it's so important. I want to I help somebody who's walking through uh, fear, who's dealing with fear. And, and I want to do this from a little bit different angle. I want to help you dismantle fear intellectually in your life. So... so um, if God is the eternal, eternal one, um, we're going to walk through this. If you're afraid of something, um, fear and time. Let's talk about fear and its relationship to, to time. So if you're afraid of something, if you have fear in your life, it's not fear of the past. That's, that's impossible. Now, I'm not saying there's not some stuff there with the past. You may have regret from the past 
Uh, you may have some bad feelings, some bad memories of the past. There may be different things there, but it's not fear. You can't be afraid of what's already happened in your life. Make sense? Um, most of the time, I would say 98, 99% of the time, you're not, if you're experiencing fear in your life, it's not fear right now of what's happening in the, in the present. Like unless you're staring out your kitchen window and a tornado is barreling down on you, most of the time, like on a Sunday morning, you're probably not like sitting up in the balcony like, man, the, uh, I'm going to get hit by a random flying football that the pastor's going to throw at me. Okay, that may be a bad excuse, but, but um, I've done that. Uh, but but most, most of the time, your fear is not connected to the past and it's not connected to the now. What's your fear connected to? The, the future, right? And not only the future, but specifically what about the future? What might happen? In the future. So let's walk through this and dismantle some fear intellectually and theologically. All right? So is God, let me ask you a question, is God eternal and omnipresent? I put the answer on the screen for you. So the answer is yes, yes God is eternal, eternal and omnipresent. So God is the eternal one. God is uncreated. So that means that God operates outside of time and space. So that means that God is just as present in your future as he is right now. God knows what's God knows about your doctor's appointment on Wednesday. God knows what decisions your teenagers are going to make on Thursday. God understands what happens to you at the job on Friday. God is not only does God know that he is physically in your future. That's where God is operates out his omnipresent. And that doesn't mean that God operates uh, God uh, occupies all of space at one time. Some of you may have an under a partial understanding of what omnipresence, omnipresence is a big, big fancy theological word, means that God is everywhere at once. Right? So there's a preacher that's preaching in London and a preacher that's preaching in China, and I'm standing here in Concord, and God's all of those places. But God is also in the future just as easy as it is now, and God is also in your past. That means that God can reach back and heal your past wounds, and that means that God is in your, in your future, right? So now watch this. Is Satan, is Satan eternal and omnipresent? The answer is no. no. Why? Because Satan is a created being, and created beings are limited to time and space just like we are. So now watch this. This will make sense. So the enemy is scared of your future because there's nobody in your future except God. So your future is perfect. Your future is holy. Your future is righteous. Your future, God is in your future. The enemy then is scared of your future because he knows that God is already at work in your future and he knows how good your future is. So I'd do this too if I was the enemy. The enemy's only weapons are lies and fear. So the enemy is lying to you now about the uncertainty of your future to fill you with fear, to keep you from pursuing what God has for you. And I just want to preach this into somebody this morning that you have no fear of the future anymore. You don't have to fear the future. You don't have to fear your tomorrow. You don't have to fear what lies ahead for you or your children or your grandchildren because I've seen it and God is at work in your future. Here's, what, here's part of what prayer is. 
You may not all have the gift of prophecy, but you can be prophetic. You can begin to step into through prayer. See, prayer, prayer doesn't know time or space either because it's connected to the eternal one. So when I pray, I'm declaring the word of God over my future and I'm prophesying things about what are going to happen to me. Now, now, now hear, hear me. I'm not saying nothing bad is ever going to happen. I'm not saying you're not going to suffer. I'm not saying there's not going to be death. I'm not saying there's not going to be hurt and pain. But I'm saying we don't have to be afraid of the future because God is already there preparing that for us. And then the Bible says this in 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear. Here's the root of all fear. God, gives, God takes us behind the scenes. You're dealing with fear. Here's the root of fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So watch this. If you're a child of God, if you've said yes to Jesus, eternity is your home. You will not be punished eternally so you have nothing to fear. And you remind the enemy of that. I don't have anything to fear today because I know whose I am. I know where I'm going. Now you say, Pastor, I don't know where I'm going. You're going to have an opportunity in just a couple of minutes to shore up your eternity and watch the fear begin to dissipate in your life. Because you know once, you've, once you have eternity settled in your heart, everything else begins. It won't be perfect. But it begins to line up. Here's the last thing. Let me read one more scripture and I'm going to pray for you. So we're talking about meaning and we're talking about eternity. We're talking about the longing for meaning and the longing for eternity. We're going to connect these last two dots. Exodus 3 says this. Moses is getting ready to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he's kind of having this argument with God. God's like, I want you to do this. Moses is like, I don't really want to. God's like, but I've prepared you. Moses is like, but I stutter. God's like, you can do this. Moses is like, I can't. Does this sound familiar? You've had these conversations with God? Me too. So this is how this conversation plays out. Let's say Moses is like, he's, so he's in this bartering process. Well, let's say, God, let's say I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to rescue you. And then they reply, what is his name? What should I tell them? I am who I am. That is what you should tell the people of Israel. I am has sent me to rescue you. Now, uh, if you were raised in church, you probably are familiar with this verse and this revelation. God begins to give a revelation of who he is. It's Yahweh. Uh, it is our best kind of translation of it is I am who I am. But there's more to it. There's more to it. God begins to reveal himself even more. And God says this. He says, this is what you are to tell Israel's people. The eternal. The eternal. So God reveals himself as eternity. Eternity is not a philosophical thought. Eternity is not ultimately just a destination. Eternity is the person of God. This is what you are to tell Israel's people. The eternal. It's capitalized. It's his, he's, saying, he's saying, this is my name. This is who I am. I am eternity. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is the one who sent me to you. I didn't say this in the earlier service, but this is a word for somebody in the house this morning. God is saying to you that your grandfather's God is your God. Your parents' God is your God. You watched your grandmother pray. That wasn't your grandmother's religion. That's yours. You own that. You step into that. 
And then he says this, this is my name forevermore. And this is the name by which all future generations shall remember me by. So, so you've got the longing. Everybody has a longing for meaning. And that longing for meaning is connected to our longing for eternity. See, everybody's going to have to answer this question. What do I believe about eternity and how will I live in light of that belief? And now what the Bible says is that eternity, again, is not a philosophical thought. Eternity is God himself, is God himself. And then let me take it one more step because then the Bible says in John chapter one, verse one, that in the beginning was the word, in the beginning, antiquity and futurity, the past and the future, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so what the Bible now is saying is that Jesus is eternity too. So meaning, eternity, God and Jesus. Now what you have to do is connect Jesus all the way back to meaning and can your pastor tell you with love today that you will never have meaning apart from Jesus I'm not saying you won't have momentary pleasure but you'll never experience true deep lifelong purpose and meaning without Jesus because meaning is not a destination, meaning is a person. Heads bowed and eyes closed all across the auditorium in Concord at the gallery, adult and teen challenge. We love you guys as you're watching Davidson. If you're watching online, every head bowed, every eye closed will be, will be dismissed in just, just a couple minutes, but I'm gonna hang, ask everyone to hang tight. This is so important. Number one, two questions. Number one, pastor, I know Jesus. I made a decision to serve him as my Lord and Savior, but I'm struggling with fear. And I think I've been struggling with chasing after some temporal things in my life to fill a void of happiness. And I just need to recenter and refocus on the eternal one, on the person of Jesus. If that's you, would you just wave at me? Pastor, would you include me in the prayer? Sure, 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 sure. Sure, that's just a good thing. Always, always be recentering. What does this week, what does, what does eternity have to do with what, what I'm doing right now? And now the second question. Pastor, I don't know that I've settled eternity in my heart. If I were to die, if Jesus were to come back, I don't know if I would be in heaven or hell. Maybe you've had a personal relationship with Jesus at one time in your life, or maybe you never had. But pastor, you would say this, pastor, I'm longing for meaning. And I realize today that that cannot be found apart from the person of Jesus Christ. I need to settle eternity in my heart right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, just as a point of reference, not as a gimmick, but as a point of reference, I'm going to count to three and I want you to shoot your hand up high. I'll acknowledge it and you can put it right back down. Here we go. One, two, three. Hands. I gotcha. Who else? Who else? I gotcha. Who else? Who else? Awesome. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Church family, let's pray together. This is a beautiful moment, church. Beautiful moment. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I come to you asking you to forgive me. I believe that you died upon the cross and rose again. And so I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, come into my life, 
Give me meaning. Give me purpose. Help me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven will be my home. And so now I have no fear of my future. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, would you stand and would you just lift a hand? I just want to declare that fear would be broken in this place at all of our locations. Fear broken at the gallery. Fear broken over every adult and teen challenge person listening. Fear broken at home in the name of Jesus. Your future is sure. Your future is secure. Your future is in the hands of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus? Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.